0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Every man's life ends the same way. It is only the details of how he lived and how he died that distinguish one man from another. Ernest Hemingway.
2: You know, i would have his head down and kind of moving it from side to side and he kind of looked my way and then just kind of start walking my way and then stop and then kind of shift around and so i had this feeling like oh well he notices me so what's going to happen i thought you know statistically no hikers died from a grizzly bear attack so how am i going to be the one you know i was like yeah as far as stats go i should be a-okay and um sure enough he decides to charge me and i was like oh so this is how i go but you know me being the fighter type and everything i I always had this fantasy of dying fighting the warrior's death kind of thing and so it was kind of like oh well you know now i'm getting what i wanted i was kind of disappointed i wasn't going to be a triple crowner but i was like well this is it
1: i'm doc and this is the john freaking pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, who is a Triple Crowner with more than 10,000 trail miles under his feet. Welcome to the John Freaky Muir Pod, Wesley Tills. How's it going, Wesley? Yeah,
2: going good, going good. Yeah.
1: Okay. And as we talk tonight, you are calling in from Missouri near Kansas City?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The Kansas city area.
1: Yep. Okay. And he tells me that there is a, a storm about to enter the area. And so if you hear some, if you hear some thunder and if you're watching the YouTube uh, broadcast, if you see some lightning flashes, that it just makes it all that more dramatic. So stay tuned for that. We'll see what happens.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Hey, Wesley, um, here on the, on the podcast, we go strictly by trail names, if you've picked one up. So I have to imagine that with 10,000 more than 10,000 trail miles, you have probably picked up a trail name.
2: I have. I have. Um, Yeah, I went through a few, but the one that stuck is Mega Man.
1: Okay. And we love to hear the story behind the trail name. How did you end up with Mega Man?
2: Yeah. So, it was on the Appalachian Trail. I was going southbound, so that's the first hint to the name. um, Because, you know, for the Appalachian Trail, there's uh, people say, if they're going from Maine to Georgia, it's Mega. If you're going from Georgia to Maine. It's game um, for the initials. Maine is Emmy. Georgia's GA. So I was going southbound. So that's the first part about it. Mega. Um, And I grew up whenever I was a kid, I was very much into like retro gaming, playing the NES and stuff. So uh, Mega Man was a big series that I enjoyed. And then the third part about it was at the time I had a stress fracture and I was hobbling on the side of my foot and everyone's telling me I need to get off trail. And I kept telling him, I don't want to go back home. So I was just hobbling, hobbling, hobbling along with a stress fracture in my foot. And um, and so someone put it all together and he's like, you're outpacing most of the hikers. You're a nerdy guy and you're going southbound. You're a mega man. So that's how it happened.
1: You know what? I, I am always learning something because you, you, you said that, you know, I, I, I our listeners may be able to figure it out and maybe more people that have experience with, with the AT would be able to figure that out. But this is the first time that I put that together that, you know, Maine going southbound is Maine to Georgia and you take the state abbreviations and it's, it's mega. So it's like, you know, light bulb goes off for me. Thank you.
2: Yeah. 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 No, that, that was something that I discovered. I, I ran into a hiker whose trail name was Omega and I, I didn't think much about it. And and then whenever she explained it, that it was because she was going southbound and the whole, you know, abbreviations, I was kind of blown by that. And so then when someone told me I should be Mega Man, I was, I was absolutely thrilled for that name. So
1: nice. And who who gave you the name? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, his name was um, was Jetpack and he's actually from Kodiak Island, Alaska. So, yeah.
1: OK, nice. Yeah. Now, you mentioned you were a gamer.
2: I or at least was I I still game occasionally, but I I, since hiking, I I think with gaming, you know, growing up, it was about uh, escaping, going into a world that was a lot better. And now that I'm into hiking, it's like I'm already in that world. So I don't really need games to compensate for that.
1: That is a great analogy. That's fantastic. What, what, What games did you play? What were some of your favorite games back in the day?
2: Well, one that always stuck with me because. Uh, So I'm 29 years old, uh, born in 93, and so around my generation early on, um, we had the PlayStation, so Crash Bandicoot, Spyro the Dragon, those were big for me. The Final Fantasy series, uh, 7 and 9 were kind of my favorites. Um, And then just a lot of the old games, I really enjoyed Contra. Bubble Bobble, Dig Dug, some of the arcade style. I I really like games I can just pick up, play for 30 minutes, put it down and carry on with my day. I do enjoy the longer games too, like Skyrim and stuff, but that I can be pretty addicted to that kind of stuff. And so I try to keep away from it just to, you know, make my life more meaningful.
1: (laughs) Now, what does it say about me that I recognize Dig Dug? Uh, and I recognize Dig Dug from the days when I played it in the the uh, the donut shop lobby <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's, that's awesome good on you it's a good game
1: <laughs> yeah I remember that and asteroids. I'm really dating myself here and you know one of the the uh, earlier not i shouldn't say earlier earlier than what the games that you mentioned uh, doom was was real big when I was probably in my early 20s and we, we got, had some friends and we got into that for a while.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, I was I mean, I played Doom, but I was a little bit past that. So, it was GoldenEye was our big first-person shooter game growing up. Got it. Got yeah. it.
1: Yeah. All right. Hey, we've got a we've got a real treat today because I've I've thrown something into the episode that I occasionally do when I find something out there that that catches my eye. It's time for a current event. Okay. So, if I see something and if I see something in the headlines related to hiking or camping, uh, or some kind of outdoor adventure that really kind of uh, catches catches me, I will bring it up here. We call it our current event. And this is from the Olympian in Washington. Oh, cool. And this, this story just kind of grabs you right at a, a very a visceral level. Mm-hmm. So the headline is that a woman falls headfirst into a vault toilet, calls 911 to pull her out. And so let me just give you the details and then I want want to hear your reaction and what maybe, maybe your thoughts. And if you find yourself in a similar situation, so evidently she was, I don't know, may have been at a trailhead and obviously there was not a lot of other people around because she didn't call for help from, for them. She called on her phone, but she dropped her phone into the toilet. And so the vault, a vault toilet is a waterless non-flush toilet typically found at campgrounds and near hiking trails where human waste is stored in an airtight underground container. So she tried to, uh, she actually, she dismantled the toilet, uh, took off the seat and took off the the sitting part. Um, And so there's just a hole there and she tried to fish it out. And evidently she just, just, just out of reach. She couldn't quite reach it. She leaned in a little bit further and she went in head first. And after about 15 to 20 minutes of trying to get out and being unsuccessful, she called 911. Now, usually this is a highbrow uh, podcast. You know, we, we really don't get into the, uh, the low humor. I'm kidding. I'm being sarcastic here. Uh, but th- this story was just too good to pass up. So what are your thoughts on this?
2: Well I would imagine if if you could like equate it to like a dungeon dragon scenario she rolled double ones you know or she rolled a one on a 20 die she she rolled the absolute worst roll she could for retrieving her phone that's extremely unfortunate it sounds like she was trying to do everything she could maybe the the seat itself was kind of getting in the way or or the lid so she had to remove it that's understandable but yeah it I I'd say nothing wrong on her part just you know clumsiness but man that is <laughs> sad i could i yeah i'm wondering if she has a partner or somebody at home she comes back home just reeking of um of human fluids and and just their reaction to it i mean also did she throw up you know because you're just stuck so in, many
1: so many questions yes
2: yeah yeah it just seems so unfortunate <laughs> um i i like I wanted, that you
1: equated it to a, a a one on a 20 die for dungeons and dragons that's that's great it's like we're role-playing a game here and oh sorry uh you know the question is you've just dropped your phone into the toilet what do you do and you roll the <laughs> dice and oh i see uh you know you, you have fallen into the toilet head first i'm sorry
2: <laughs> i've fallen and i can't get up oh that's that's <laughs> terrible <laughs>
1: But obviously, I mean, if the toilet was in place and there's no way she could reach down through the toilet and have any chance of of getting the phone. So she she tried to get herself closer to the phone by taking that piece of the the equation out of play. But uh, evidently it was just just beyond her reach. And she shifted the wrong way, shifted with an F, shifted the wrong way and fell in.
2: Yeah terrible terrible unfortunately and we
1: just finished talking about trail names i mean what if she had been with a group i mean she could have had a, a spectacular trail name
2: yeah yeah she there there would have been a lot of opportunities i can't come up with one right off the top of my head but <laughs> it reminds me of just like bobbing for apples or something somebody like <laughs> turd oh. bopping or whatever <laughs>
1: Well, let's let that simmer. Maybe when we get to the end of the episode, we can we can see if anything has uh, floated to the surface uh, in terms of a trail name for her. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And- hey, Mega Man, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast at all?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep.
1: Okay. So I only asked to make sure that you are aware of a segment that happens towards the end of the episode called our Pro Tip Inside of the Week. That's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there.
2: All right. Sounds good. Okay.
1: And of course, the expectation is all throughout this episode, you'll be dropping trail wisdom, but you'll still be on the hook for that one, that official one at the end.
2: Cool. Sounds good. Okay.
0: The must bring gear review.
1: Oh, there's Half Calf, my my youngest daughter. She uh, is American from Southern California, and she loves to put on a, a, what she thinks is an English accent. Uh, the jury's still out on that, but uh, helping us with the segment introductions, it's time for the must bring gear. Gear review sponsored by the by the ultralight backpacking gear company Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Mega Man, what is your must-bring piece of gear?
2: Uh, so the thing I was wondering is, would shoes be included with that? Or is it just had to be something within your pack?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And it's not an uncommon question either. Okay, uh, uh, Gear can apply to anything that you bring with you on a hike. Yeah. So it could yeah. be shoes, could be clothing, could be your bag. It could be what's in your bag. It's all up to you. We, we want to hear your your personal choice here. What's most important?
2: Yeah, then I definitely pick my shoes because, yeah, there's, there's so often where you know, everyone's going to try to assume, oh, these are the good shoes and, and especially with hiking. And if it's just generic gear, I'm guessing that's going to be like high top boots or something. And and I've hiked in those before. And it's a lot of blisters, uh, at least for my feet. Um, I've, I've switched around. Um, I just got off the Florida trail and I had these all terrains for them and I bought them for about $50. The Florida trail association was recommending it and they lasted me all 1100 miles and I'm still wearing them. And they're, you know, I'm not a picky hiker. I can, you know, until my shoes, I can feel the ground on my feet. I'm not throwing them away. Um, And those shoes are Yeah, pretty good. So after having those shoes, I'd say that would be my pick is like some good all terrains. Just they're cheap. They're nice. They're comfy. I didn't have any blisters. Um, So yeah, that'd be my choice.
1: Okay. Do they have any kind of rock plate or a thicker sole to avoid those, those stepping on those stones and feeling them?
2: Not really. They're they're pretty generic, to be Mm -hmm. honest. You know, and that's something that I kind of go for with my shoes is I want simple design because I often find the more functions and more things to it the more that things can go wrong long term and so i kind of prefer things to just be you know really good at the basics
1: so okay all right and they lasted 1100 miles and you still got them
2: yeah yeah wearing them every day so
1: well that's a good endorsement right there
2: yeah yeah okay it's the hiking pole
1: okay and to help us continue talking about gear we're gonna we're gonna i've got seven questions for you and we call the hiking pole and it's p o l l like a survey not p o l e like a like a uh, a trekking pole. Mm. <laughs> you think that's clever?
2: That's clever. Yeah. I came
1: up, I came up with that.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, good on you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so I'm going to ask you seven questions and it's going to help me give you a score from 1 to 100 on the sanity scale with 100 being completely sane and 1 being completely bonkers. And you have to know right off the bat that there is a 20 point automatic 20 point deduction for being a long trail through hiker. So if you've done any one of the three American trails, uh, long trails, then you know, your highest score possible is 80. You've done all three. So I, I don't know if that's an additional deduction or not. We'll, we'll see how the poll goes.
2: Cool. Cool. Sounds good. OK. All
1: <laughs> right. First question easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles?
2: Uh, it's in between. I, I prefer one trekking pole, my pimp cane So.
1: Oh wow okay tell me about this that's that's an unusual answer I'm usually I'm, I'm used to either one or the other but yeah. but just one pole that's that's a, kind of a unique answer
2: yeah yeah I, I like having one hand to help grind me up mountains and then the other hand to deal with whatever the world is throwing at me whether that's mosquitoes i need to swat or i need to eat a cliff bar while walking whatever it is you know and so i kind of like to have both or switch a song on spotify if i'm jamming to tune so it, it's nice just to have that and then honestly just for me i i like the aesthetic of a one trekking pole look it just makes me feel very dignified while i'm hiking so um yeah i'm a one one pole guy
1: dignified pimp cane nice yeah. <laughs> now, just to clarify, you're not swatting the mosquitoes with the single pole. You're swatting them with your free hand. You're not like Mr. Miyagi uh, catching yeah. the fly with the chopsticks.
2: Yeah, no, I, I didn't fence growing up. So I, I'm not the best <laughs> whenever it comes to accurate sword swinging. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I, I wonder sometimes if I'm the only one that, you know, as I'm hiking along and my head's down and I've got my poles, that uh, to pass the time, I'll see how accurate I can be with, you know, like stabbing a leaf on the trail or a uh, piece of bark. Is that just me or do other people do that as well?
2: No, I, I definitely do that too. A lot of times too. I like, you know, if there's a stump, I really like to see if I can just stab it in the center and get to stick. That's a very sad, it's just like, you know, a sensation thing for me. It just, it gives a good satisfaction when it kind of, you can feel that it's lodged in there a little bit. Um, even yeah, decaying any kind of decaying wood it's just nice to stick it in or um yeah what else do i do there's uh i can't remember when i get bored i do all kinds of stupid stuff my trekking poles of course twirling it around trying to get better at that imagining them that I'm like polynesian fire dancer but <laughs> you know
1: <so>. nice. <laughs> no. all right next question boots or trail runners i think i know the answer to this question
2: yeah. Yeah. I definitely pick trail runners there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If
1: the feet aren't happy, nobody's happy. That's right. <laughs> okay. Your preferred shelter system, tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping?
2: Preferred is definitely cowboy camping. I love sleeping under the stars. If there's no mosquitoes and if it's not raining, I will cowboy camp almost every night. For instance, on the CDT, I probably cowboy camped, I don't know, a hundred nights of it. Maybe, you know, it took me 119 days to do the trail. So there's, yeah, probably 15 to 19 days where I actually set up my tent, but you got to make it really uncomfortable for me to do that. It, and even if it's cold, I'll still cowboy camp. If it's just, it's cold enough, I'll grab um, my um, what's it called over my tent, the, uh, the rain fly, and I'll just put that over my sleeping bag and that secures the heat well enough for me. So.
1: Okay what about those people who say you know there, there might be a, a a critter that gets close to me like a snake or something yeah, or a scorpion we,
2: Well yeah I mean those those guys most of the time I like to do it just for like also for the bigger critters you know like if a mountain lion or bear or whatever i'm able to get up and chase it off real quick i want to be able to see the animal and freight and face it and scare it off kind of thing but whenever it comes to snakes and scorpions i don't think you can get up and scream at them and they'll run away um i mean i i haven't had that problem yet but if i did it might make me start second guessing cowboy camping, at least like in like desert settings or areas with a lot of snakes. But
1: right. That's an interesting perspective because I know I've talked to a lot of people who say that, you know, they know it's irrational, but they feel like they had, they're better protected from bears. Or lion, mountain lions, while they're in the tent, even though they know it's you know it's it's a very thin membrane between them and the animal, but they just you know out of sight, out of mind. And your your perspective is, I want to see it coming. I want to be able to get up quick and let it know I'm here. Let let it know that I'm here and scare it away.
2: Yeah, I don't want it to get comfortable. That's one thing that I think whenever you have your tent up, you know, a lot of times I've done that, and then you hear a bear or or whatever come by, and you're sitting there listening and trying to assess what should I do. And that's just, you know, at that point, the bear is kind of like, oh, you know, this is a comfortable area. Nothing's happening. But if he comes by in the minute that comes by, you jump up and you go, get out of here. And then the bear is like, oh, shoot. You know, it's it's a good jump scare. So it's worked for me every time. So that's that's how I like to do it.
1: Okay, now how about your sleeping system, sleeping bag or quilt?
2: I'm a sleeping bag kind of guy. That's mainly just cause I haven't gone quilt yet. Um, I'd be willing to try it. Uh, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm just comfortable it's sleeping bag works, So I just stick to sleeping bag.
1: Okay. And are you a side sleeper back sleeper?
2: What am I? I I'm kind of, you know, my body gets numb all throughout the night on trail. And so I'm, I'm all over the place, whichever arm gets numb, then I have to rotate to the other side. So, um, yeah, I I think initially I'm sleeping on my belly. A lot of times for me, unless I'm so exhausted, if I'm so exhausted, I can sleep on my back and I'm out. But there's something about sleeping with my neck conked, which is probably not the best, but it puts me to sleep quicker. It's almost like I'm putting myself in a like a headlock or something and cutting off oxygen flow, and then helps me go to sleep. Um, at least that's my theory on why it works so well for me, but. <laughs>
1: You know what? I'm going to write that down because I always have problems sleeping on the, on the trail. Uh, You know, even when I'm exhausted, I toss and turn. If, if I just knew that secret a little bit earlier about putting yourself in a chokehold and cutting off (laughs) the the blood supply to the brain, uh, I'd be, I'd sleep a lot better out there. That's great. Absolutely. All right. This next question, very important mega man. This is, this is dangerous question, major deduction, if you answer it incorrectly. So be careful here. Uh, for In terms of food, are you a stove guy, cold soak, or stoveless?
2: Uh, see, here's where I fail the test. I'm a stoveless guy. I've always been stoveless. I have never cooked uh, on trail. It's mainly just I have not built the habit of it. And the main, I'm just a snack guy too. I don't even cold soak. Or I'm, I guess if you include Idaho and mashed potatoes, that's the only issue I have with like the general sense of cold soaking is like, for instance, ramen noodles. It's an investment you put it in, wait a couple hours and then it's ready and and I just I don't think that far ahead on trail so um, <laughs> so yeah I'm 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 a soberless kind of guy always have been. I've camped out for over 500 nights any night that's a crappy cold night I'm shivering and my friend is eating a nice hot ramen balm. I'm sitting there being a little envious but at the same time I'm pretty good at yogiing at this point so I can normally, look pathetic enough to where they're like, Oh, I'm kind of full. You want some. And so if, if I have a trail family near me, I get the best of both worlds. I don't have to cook and I get good food.
1: (laughs) Yogiing. I love it. That's great.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Finish this for me is, uh, I don't finish it. Agree or disagree. Life is, well, I, that doesn't, that doesn't count either. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to give you any direction on this. I'm just going to say it and then you can can do what you want. Life is better above or below the tree line.
2: Oh man. Yeah, this was the one that I was debating my head for so long, and it's so hard for me to know because I feel like below the tree line, there's more species, and it's really fun to see the diversity of life. On the higher elevations, you're not going to get a terrible lot of things. You know, once you're above tree line, there's not trees, for instance, and a lot less bugs and cool things to look at. At the same time, you don't get as many irritating bugs and things. Um, it really, it's, it's hard to say like on the Florida Trail this year whenever I was down in Ocala National Forest for instance and I'm walking through these tall grasslands and stuff I'm just I was just baffled by how beautiful it is. I really enjoy beautiful grasslands but the being up on the mountains and the amazing views that's awesome too. I, I really for me I just like anything that's wildernessy as long as there's not people and there's there's mother earth and and lots of life all over it. I'm a I'm a happy camper. Um So it's, it's a tough one. I'm going to probably give a slight edge though, to above the tree line, just because, you know, that's, that's where all the good photos generally are done. And being able to see vast landscapes is a really satisfying thing. So yeah, above the tree line.
1: Okay. Above, but it's close. It's a close call.
2: It's very close. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Last question. What's more important pack weight or luxury items?
2: Um, I would say that it's probably, probably pack weight. I'm not an ultralight hiker. Um, that's mainly a financial thing because I live to hike. I don't, and, and there's a level of, oh, you have to wait for hiking if you want to save up for the nice gear. So I'm kind of just get the janky poor man's gear and just make it work because I don't live for the gear. I live for the trails. Um, but yeah, so. But I'm not an ultralight hiker. I'd say my base weight is probably around 14 pounds. Um, But still, you know, being stoveless and um, without several things that most hikers normally have, um, I would say that I'm probably more about um, being on the lightweight side.
1: Okay. This, this, this answer to this question is not going to count against you or for you either way, but just in terms of ultralight, are you the kind of guy that has a full size toothbrush, a half size toothbrush, a toothbrush with holes drilled in the handle, or you just use your finger to clean your teeth?
2: I, I just grab a toothbrush um, I, and <laughs> a lot of times soon, this one I've been really criticized on is I'll just go to Walmart and buy the AIM giant tube of toothpaste and just like for a long multi-month trail and I'm like oh you know that'll last me the whole trail that way I don't have to think about toothpaste so, so I, that's that's where it's like I'm not on the the lightweight side as I'm carrying a giant tub of toothpaste and a full toothbrush but you know, it, it if it's not uncomfortable to you, it's not a big deal, and it's not uncomfortable to me to carry that little bit extra.
1: So. Okay, well said. All right, let me do some math here. Calculate the the total. Yeah, okay, carry the three. I'm dividing by the square root of two. Multiply that by pi and adjust for the height of Mount Whitney, and you come out with a solid solid sixty two. 62 62 i think that's just the right amount of crazy for a triple crowner i mean that's that's satisfying right there
2: sounds very healthy i'm satisfied with that indeed
1: okay yeah. very good hey before we get too far down the trail let's back up a little bit love to hear about your background where you grew up uh, yeah. was camping or hiking part of your your family culture and what kinds of sports and hobbies you played
2: Cool. Yeah. So to start off, um, I grew up in the Kansas City area um, all my life. Uh, the place where we're filming right now, this is the house I grew up in since I was four years old. Um, uh, I have 10 siblings, uh, six brothers, four sisters. Currently, I'm a uncle of 22 kids, so um, I never want to have kids because I've already there's enough of my lineage to be passed on at this point. Um, My mom's from Denmark and my dad's from Kansas. They met in Kansas city. And uh, so that, that, yeah, I I grew up and then um, yeah, as far as like outdoor stuff, it was a big thing for us growing up. Um, One of the things, and this will make sense with like the big family and then what I'm about to say, uh, but I grew up Mormon. That was a, you know, Theologically, um, we grew up in the Mormon Church, and um, so we'd go on a lot of vacations out to Utah, especially like Zion's National Park. I have a lot of family that lives down in Hurricane, Laverkin Cedar City, that kind of area in the southwest part. And so almost yearly, we would go to Colorado and then southern Utah. And uh, yeah, that was always a big thing for me. I was always really comfortable uh, in my body, um, so I would you know, run and climb up mountains. I remember at six years old was my first mountain quote unquote, which was angels landing. And, uh, for some people that's considered a scary hike and especially like on the parts you're supposed to use the chains, but I, you know, I didn't like the lines of people. So to let them go by, I just climbed on the side of it and let people pass by. And my dad's age six yeah yeah and my dad's wow. screaming at me you're gonna die you're gonna die and that's kind of a lot of my upbringing is my parents yelling at me you're gonna die because I'm doing something reckless but I've, I've always just been so comfortable in my body that I was like I'm I'm fine and uh and yet to this day I've never really broken a bone besides my nose so um yeah I, I'd say I'm I'm yeah being confident in yourself has really worked well but um yeah also I I grew up in Boy Scouts that's a very Mormon thing to do and we would Take yearly trips, little high adventures. I was mainly down in the Ozarks area, so going down the Buffalo River um, or doing like bicycling the Katy Trail. Um, I remember actually, whenever I was like 12 years old, there was this guy walking on the Katy Trail, and he's telling us that he's walking the whole thing, and it's 255 miles. And whenever he left, me and all the other Boy Scouts were like, "That guy's a liar! No one can walk 250 miles," because <laughs> like we just could not fathom that at all. We're bicycling it. How could you walk this? And then here I am, ten thousand miles later. Um, but yeah, so I, I did a. You know, that was a big thing. So the outdoors were a very big component for me growing up. Um, I was a misfit growing up. I'm, you know, a very sensitive. Uh, goofy soul. And in my hometown, it's a bit more suppressing and uh, uh, rigid. Uh, People are kind of judgmental. And if you're not the way that we all are, then you're going to get bullied. And so I got into fighting a lot and I was uh, a good fighter, I guess. And so um, that was a big part for me was stand up bare knuckle. That was kind of my preferred method. Cause I, I, I liked the sportsmanship more than anything of fighting. It was less about like, Oh, I'm angry. It was more about like, you know, you, you're a jerk to me and I don't like you. Let's go meet on the train tracks and not bring any of our friends and put our dukes up and until someone says they're done. And that was kind of, it, I mean, it never, or it sometimes went that way, but for the most part, you know, someone's eventually getting a bit carried away but I always tried to keep it diplomatic but so fighting was a big thing for me and because of that that was my sports growing up was I was a boxer a golden gloves boxer so um yeah I had a promising career in boxing um or they, they told me I had a promising career in boxing it's another thing to actually have a promising career in boxing um but yeah, I, I was in a pro gym, so the whole goal was to turn me into a professional fighter. And then they would take, I think it was like 30% of my winnings, and then um, I would get to keep 70% of it. So the whole goal of the gym was to turn you into a professional fighter and then make money off of you. And, uh, and it was kind of in a rough part of Kansas City. They called me at first the white welterweight because I was the only white kid there um but it was it was a lot of fun um I really enjoyed boxing and and I got you know I was supposed to become a professional boxer and I think it was July of 2013, yeah 2013 um but it, yeah in the end I um and that we'll probably touch on that later in the end I had other plans so I quit quit my career as a fighter so
1: Wow. Mega man. Sometimes I ask a question and I get exactly what I expect. You know, I kind of, I kind of know what the answer is probably going to be and how it's going to play out. That was, I went for a ride on that, on that answer right there. That was, that was a lot of fun. Just listening to all of that. There's a lot to unpack though. I've got some follow-up questions if you don't mind.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Okay. So 10 siblings, what was the, what was the span of ages?
2: Okay. So where,
1: where did you fall in that, in that, in the birth order?
2: Yeah. So Hannah is the youngest. And um, if I am correct, she is 26 or 20. I think she's 26 right now. She's going to be 27 in May. Um, And then the oldest is my brother, Ben, and he is about 20 years older than me. And I'm 29. So he's about 49 years old. So, yeah, 49 to 26 is the age age range. And I'm the youngest of the boys and then the second youngest of all 11 of us.
1: Okay, and how was it at dinner time? I mean, oh, actually, how many how many kids were at home at any one time? What was the greatest number of kids in the house at any one time?
2: I'd say that that was probably whenever I was at my you know toddler age. I remember because um, yeah, like because it's a yours mine and ours things. My parents were both married before, so my dad had four kids, my mom had four kids, and then they got together and had three kids, got and uh, and so. I remember like growing up, all my dad's kids, except Troy was living with us. So three of them. And then all four of my mom's kids were living there. And then at the time, it was just me and Ashley because Hannah wasn't born yet. So that, what is that, nine people or eight eight or nine kids, something like that that we had. But it would fluctuate all throughout my childhood. People would come in, leave, and, you know, just according to whatever life threw at them. So, um, yeah, at this point, we're all scattered all over the place. Some are in Denmark, some are down in Florida, Florida. Um, a good few of us are here in Missouri. Some are down in Texas. Uh, Some are in California. So, yeah, we're we're all over the place.
1: Okay. Was it was it pretty chaotic in the house with that many yeah. people at yeah. time?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, if you've ever seen the show Malcolm in the Middle, that always resonated with me because I felt like you know growing up in lower middle class um, environment and then having you know all of your siblings just it, it, like for instance dinner was. To this day, I'm possessive of my food, and like whenever I'm, I'm eating my food, um, one thing I'm always criticized about is how I hold my utensils because I grip my fork like as if you know, like a barbarian. You know, I dig it in, and but it, it's I think it's just kind of like that fending thing where you you know I learn to eat quick. You grab food, and if you eat fast enough, then you can have seconds. So there was a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of that kind of dynamic. But I mean, it was. <sighs> There was a lot of fighting, sure, um, but it felt normal. Like, and that's the thing is, like, I don't feel like there was any traumas that were created from it. Um, the fighting did get excessive. Uh, there, you know, sometimes as little kids, whenever, like, the parents weren't around to catch us do this, you know, someone would grab a knife, a kitchen knife, and try to stab the other one and stuff. And so we had like fights like that, but it was never traumatic for me because I thought that that was just how upbringings were like it wasn't until I started telling my friends about you know oh my sister got me in the back with the knife the other day and then they're like that's not normal and and I had to really wrestle with like your siblings don't fight like that either but even though we fought a lot we still you know loved each other and it was a good time it was just a very rowdy time a big adrenaline rush half the time so
1: nice now let's go let's go to the bare-knuckled fighting because that's 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 the surprising part to me (laughs) that we went we went there um you you kind of have a look like you could fit into i don't know if you've ever seen the movie snatch with brad pitt uh-uh. okay so he 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 plays a an uh i think an irish gypsy who is a a fantastic bare-knuckled fighter and uh you, you uh from your descriptions i mean it sounds like you'd fit right in and then also of course the the, the other movie references fight club oh yeah yeah so you've seen that so that that sounds uh, pretty wild. I mean, I like the fact that you you try to keep it sportsmanlike and just the you know you and your opponent at the tracks and no friends allowed and let's uh, settle this like men.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I really loved fighting. I mean, I, whenever I was little, and I think this you know might be like an evolution or like a not evolution but animalistic thing, a thing that you know is like instilled in us back during the hunter gatherer times that. In my brain as a kid, I thought if I was ever going to get a girl to like me, I she had to know that I could fight. You know, that was I, I thought that that was the most important thing. Uh, and so um, I, I wanted to be a really, really good fighter because I thought, you know, that's my chance at getting a girlfriend and, and having the girls Google all over me and everything. It, it's not true. You know, I can. I can say, uh, from experience that, you know, charisma goes a long way and I don't have the most of that, but I, I like to fight and, um, but yeah, I, I did a lot of fighting. Um, yeah, I had boxing gloves too. And so a lot of times I would, you know, if I had problems with kids, at school, I'd bring the gloves and then tell them to meet me in the bathroom or something. And we'd fight. And, um, and it's kind of funny, the amount of people that talk this huge game that they're like, yeah, one punch, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this and knock, And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, let's find out. And then we put the gloves on and I start wailing on them and then they stop, stop. And they start freaking out. And I always thought that was kind of comical to me to, that was like part of the most fun part to me of fighting is like everyone for some odd reason really loves to talk shit and just be like, Oh, I'm so this and that. And then whenever it comes down to it, they've never been rocked before. And all of a sudden, now that their nose is broken, they're freaking out. And it it was always kind of funny to me. Um, But yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I've, I was never like the like tough character you know like I've, I've always been a goofball I like to sing and dance and goof around and everything but I love to fight so um, a lot of times too like whenever I had a career as a boxer and I'd go in the ring ready to fight someone I'd walk in hunched over and kind of like you know try to look as like weak as I could just to kind of Because a lot of times I've always been told I don't look like a good fighter. I look like this nerdy blonde kid. And so I love to like play that image. So that way people kind of let down their guard. So whenever it came down to it, I, you know, I had that edge at the very beginning of expectation versus reality.
1: Mega Man, you are intriguing because you, you are kind of a study in, in contradiction. You know, you're, (laughs) you're a self-described sensitive, goofy soul who is an excellent fighter. I mean that that just kind of it's like oil and water kind of mixed into into one person very interesting very intriguing
2: yeah yeah i got you know that th- i don't know maybe there was like a pre-mortal life and you get to pick a bunch of skill sets and i was like you know what i'm going to make myself weird and complicated and put all these skills in certain areas and then other areas i was just like no nope, none of it like for instance i can't throw a ball worth anything I have, my dad was a basketball player and a pitcher and he really wanted me to be a baseball or basketball player. And then he found out that I, I'm just really bad at it. And I've never been good at it. All my friends like disc golfing and I like to disc golf too, but I'm terrible at it. You know, I'm normally getting a double bogey on each hole is pretty commonplace for me. So it's just you got some skills and you don't got others and some of them you can work and train really hard at, and they're just not developing. And that's okay. That's just how, what, what you got in life. So.
1: I love that you're building your character. You're, you're allocating your your skill points to different categories and you said, you know what, this is, this is what we're going to go with here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Hey, before we go to a break, how do you, how do you pay the bills? What do you do to finance your adventures?
2: To finance my adventures? A lot of it is living, living cheaply. Um, it it's also just picking up whatever job i can do so like for the appalachian trail as a janitor for the pacific crest trail as a dishwasher at a restaurant for the continental divide trail i did rough end carpentry um for a lot of the past ones it's been door dashing and that's kind of where i'm at still is um yeah i just went through a breakup and so now i'm back at my parents place um and so the nice part about being back in my parents' place is it's cheap. So I can save up a lot of money and and try to uh, go off on more adventures. So that's, that's what I'm doing right now. is just door dashing and saving up at my parents' place.
1: Well, sorry to hear about that breakup, but at least you can save some more money now.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear some, some tales from the trail. Uh, we'll talk about some of your triple crown adventures as well as some other including uh, some other stories, including your, your most recent uh, Florida trail experience. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. And welcome back. We are talking to Mega Man, the sensitive, goofy soul who can box your socks off and, and probably much more. So, uh, again, thank you for, uh, for agreeing to talk tonight. This has been fantastic so far. Um, before we get to your triple crown hikes, I've got another trail listed here in our discussion points that I have never heard of before. So you have to enlighten us as to what it is, where it is, how long it is. It's the Ma Da Hay Trail.
2: Yeah, the Matahe Trail. Yeah.
1: Matahe. Okay.
2: Yeah. So that's in North Dakota. It's 144 miles um, and it's the longest trail in North Dakota. Um, And if you don't include the Great Plains Trail, um, because it's, it, it kind of is a trail, but I think two people have done it, and it's still under a lot of work. If you don't include that one, it's the longest trail in the Great Plains, but it, it's in um, Theodore Roosevelt National Park, and also Little Missouri National Grassland, which is the largest national grassland in the states, which may not sound too intriguing for most people, but it's, this whole area is a big old Badlands area, so everything's eroded Buttes, which is you know, for geology and, and looking at fossils and everything. It's amazing. You'll, because there's old sequoia, fossilized sequoias and hundreds and hundreds of bison. Um, I saw one person while I was out there. Um, yeah, it's a really beautiful trail just on the west part of North Dakota. And, you know, then in South Dakota, there's the Black Hill Centennial Trail, which is 128 miles. And they're a, roughly about a hundred miles from each other. So it's kind of cool because you can really, if you want to make a trip out of it, you can go do the Centennial trail, the longest trail in South Dakota, and then go up and do the Matahe trail, longest trail in North Dakota and say, so you you know, hiked the longest trail in the Dakotas.
1: Now, is there a trail or a path that connects the two Where you could, you could walk the entire thing or you'd have to take a car?
2: Yeah. Um, there is the, uh, the, the great plains trail, like I was talking about earlier um, that, that, that trail or route um, connects it either can i'm not too sure if it connects both of them or if the great plains trail goes on the mickelson trail which is a rail trail um, in the black hills or if it's one of those like choose your side you can take the centennial trail or the mickelson trail i i would honestly think it would be pretty easy to just go and hike the centennial trail rather than the mickelson trail and then you know walk your way up there and it's honestly not a ugly if you were to walk it's not an ugly walk because you have a lot of just big um big plateaus and and unique geologic structures that you can look at on the way it's very vast and open but um there's also not a lot of houses so it it feels very wild and get you know i I was growing up i was never a fan of the great plains um because i always associated with farmland but then once when you see it in its natural state with natural grasslands and, and the natural animals and everything there and the big skies and the amazing storms that go through, it's it's such a beautiful area. And I've definitely fallen in love with the Great Plains after hiking both those trails.
1: Nice. Sound, they sound majestic. I mean, just uh, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Now, the, the PCT, AT and the CDT, is that the order that you did them in or did you do the AT first?
2: I did the AT first.
1: Yeah. AT first. What year was that? That was
2: 2016.
1: 2016. And what was your inspiration for deciding to do one of the three American long trails? And what was your first introduction to the American long trails? And I, I, I've talked to like, some people who uh, just had their mind blown, didn't realize that the, you know, such a thing existed, yeah. that like a trail from Georgia to Maine or from Mexico to Canada, that you could walk the whole thing.
2: Yeah, so I, I definitely got a story to this one uh, that you've probably never heard before. Um, I mean, to start it off, this one's not too amazing, but um, I remember going on vacation down to Florida um, when we were kids and uh, we stopped in Tennessee and we were on a trail. And my dad's like, oh, do you know what trail this is? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, this is the Appalachian Trail. It goes from Georgia to Maine. I was, I was like, cool. And he's like, yeah, people quit their jobs and go and hike this and it takes them like four, five, six months. I was like, wait, so adults can just quit their job and do this? He's like, yeah. There's actually three of them. I was like, that like changed my mind, like changed my world because ever since I was a little kid, like I had Peter Pan syndrome so badly, just adulthood sounded like just responsibilities and and self-enslavement getting stuck with a career and and getting stuck with bills and and whining kids and a nagging spouse and just like all these problems and it just I was like why would anybody want that I have to be stuck in school for till I'm 18 years old and then go and do this that sounds terrible but then so your dad
1: your dad planted the seed right then and there
2: mm -hmm, yeah he's the one he's the one who made me think about it so um, to carry on with, like, the chronology of my end of my boxing career, I actually quit boxing to become a Mormon missionary, so at that point, I went back to the Mormon church, and I decided um, I really wanted to, as far as, like, figuring things out, because with Mormonism, epistemology is such a big factor in it, the the idea of knowing, um, and In it, they have a thing called bearing your testimony, and everyone will say, I know this, I know that, I know that God loves me, I know all this stuff, and and I didn't have any of that, so I was like, and my parents were always like, oh, we have one, so I was like, well, I need to go and find this out for myself, so I go off on this mission, Um, you don't get to pick your mission, so the church picks it and sends it back, and they tell me that I'm going to Roseville, California, uh, the Roseville, California mission, which is right above sacramento and then it goes up to weed california so it's really in that like sacramento valley area in northern california mount shasta is part of that and one of the amazing things i found out whenever i was looking at it on a map was to the east of it was the pacific crest trail so right there was like oh man am i because a mormon mission is two years long um and i was like can i do this am i going to be able to make it or am i gonna run to the mountains. So I fly out there and I serve for about nine months and it's not working for me. Um, I'm having a really hard time. I'm not getting the answers I needed. Um, I, I was praying frantically, fasting, trying to, you know, be as spiritually minded as I could because I was in the state where I was like, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't go and knock on doors and tell people stuff that I don't know is true. And, and, and having a lot of doubts on. So I was like either some divine intervention, I need someone to, you know, a light to come down or some kind of strong feeling to tell me this or else I'm out of here. And, uh, I remember going to the Sacramento temple and, um, I fasted for two days and, and really tried to prepare myself and prayed and felt nothing and came back and, and, I had this thought come to my head, kind of like a little internal conversation. And and the voice in my head was like, well, where do you feel the most spiritually alive? And I was like, well, that's out in the out in the wild. And it's like, well, go to the wild then. And that was like just a big aha moment. And so I look over at the map of our mission and I see Lake Tahoe and I see the Pacific Crest Trail right there. And so my original plan was I was going to get on the PCT, head north until I got to Canada, jump the border illegally, go to Alaska, and then just see if I can make it or die. That was kind of the original plan. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, no research. Um, I bought two backpacks full of like survival gear. It was roughly like 80 pounds. And that was that ended up becoming my first trail name was two pack because I had two backpacks. But yeah, so I, I decided I was going to run. The Mormon church found out they sent a bunch of missionaries to catch me in the middle of the night. Um, and so that kind of hastened my decision where I was originally going to kind of comfortably leave early in the morning, but all of a sudden realized like, oh, I got to go. So I, um, in the middle of the night, sometime around midnight, I grabbed my two backpacks, uh, told my companion, I'm out of here, got on my bike and just zoomed off and uh, ended up going to this girl's house who was an anti-Mormon. So I knew that like, she would be the most comfortable person to hang around with while I try to figure out how I'm going to make it to South Lake Tahoe. I hang out at her house for about two days. Um, but there's a, she had a, he wasn't really like a boyfriend, but he was a guy friend who liked her. Um, and he didn't like that I was in the picture. And so I bribed him. I told him, Hey, I will get out of the picture and I'll give you my bike if you drive me to South Lake Tahoe. And so he of course took that offer and drove me from Roseville to Um, South Lake Tahoe. And uh, that was my introduction to the to hiking was running from a Mormon mission to live out in the woods and find God my own way. I hiked about 200 miles before getting really sick. I can't say exactly what it was. My best theory is arsenic poisoning because I was living mainly off of almonds and walnuts. And apparently if you just eat those and don't eat anything else and you're working hard and everything, you're going to get sick. And so that was what i was doing so i think that's what happened but i got really really sick had to get off trail around the quincy laporte road in northern california so i ended up walking 11 miles down on this road laying down to die like three times from dehydration and just pure exhaustion thinking this is it and and then laying there and be like i'm not dead yet getting back up and continuing walking made down to this little town um called my family. They didn't pick up at the time, uh, because the, um, or yeah, they, they just didn't pick up the phone. I left a voicemail and, um, I, I'm sure I sounded really sick. So I go and set up camp the next day, I go down into town and the town is like, all in all in a kerfuffle. They're all frustrated. And I'm like, hey, what what's going on? They're like, two guys who kind of look like you just came down here and we're asking for you. And but since you told us your story, we know what's up and we know that they're the Mormons and everything. And like we chased them off. And so um so yeah the the, the little town kind of like had my back and chased off the Mormon missionaries. And um and then I just, you know, I called my family and within a couple of days they drove out to pick me up and um yeah that that stuck in my mind I think it was like a 10-day adventure and and I got to meet hikers I got to learn everything I was doing wrong um that's why I the way I hike is because of that adventure I met a guy who you know he was making fun of the food I ate and I was like well what should you eat and he's like snicker bars and slim jims and that's (laughs) that's a staple still to this day so Um, Yeah, and the funny thing is, to this day, I'm known as the runaway missionary out there for the Mormons, and every so often, I'll get messages from missionaries out there who'll be like, hey, are you the runaway missionary? And so it's kind of cool. I became this tall tale. I've heard their story, too, and it's become this really big, uh, exaggerated story where it's like I I stole a police car and stuff, which, of course, isn't true, but... (laughs) But still, it, it's a you know. To this day, I look back and think, what was I? What was I doing? You know, I took off and escaped from like twenty missionaries trying to catch me.
1: Mega man, that is epic. That is epic. And I just have one question: Who, who's who's going to play you in the movie? Because this <laughs> is this is a movie script right here. This is this is nothing. I would pay money to see this story on the big screen.
2: Well, I I've, I've talked about this appeal because you're not the first one to bring that up, and we all agreed. If Owen Wilson can look young enough, I think he should play the role because he's another blonde guy. He also has a broken nose like me. So I think he might be the role.
1: I think we've got to pitch it to him. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. All right. And Snicker bars and Slim Jims, the staple of Mega Man's trail diet now.
2: Pretty much, yeah.
1: No more arsenic poisoning.
2: Nope, not sick. Okay.
1: So what year did you do the AT?
2: I did the AT in 2016.
1: Okay, and when you completed the AT, at what point did you know that you were going to do another American Long Trail or all three of them? Did you know at that point you're going to be a triple crowner?
2: No, no. Um, I thought the AT was going to be it for me. I thought that was like my one run, and then I'd need to go to college and try to apply myself and create a career. I was like really dreading that, but I came back home and started working, trying to get out debt, and then I heard about. That it was a record high snow year in the PCT and the PCTA was telling everyone don't go out in the Sierras it's super dangerous in 2017 and I love danger and so for me that was like an invitation to go hike the PCT that year so um, that was what made me decide oh I'm gonna northbound the Pacific Crest Trail in 2017 was because of all the stuff I kept seeing mountaineers and all these people saying don't do the PCT this year. And I was like, I was really excited for that. So
1: now you were, you did a Northbound trip of the PCT 2017. You did Southbound on the AT
2: Yep, yep.
1: year before. Now I I talked to, I I interviewed another guest last night. Maybe you've heard of him. He was also out on the, the uh, PCT in 2017. In fact, he made the PCT and out and back trail. He, he yo-yoed it. Okay. Uh, I talked to I talked to Airborne last night.
2: That sounds familiar. I don't think I talked to him, but I definitely heard the name tossed around.
1: Yeah, he went through he went through the Sierras that year. He had to start really early because he was he knew he was going up and back. And so yeah. he went through the Sierras in April of that year.
2: Jeez. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: Okay. And so which did you like better? Did you prefer the AT or the PCT?
2: I preferred the PCT I I like both of them a lot Um, I love the love that's put on the AT but um, yeah the the more wildernessy aspect of the PCT plus the the year that we had the year of fire and ice and everything it was just um, everything I could have wished for in a thru-hike so to this day the PCT or at least that that time I went thru-hiked it was my favorite hiking experience
1: Yeah, I I think the PCT has a lot going for it. It's got like five different ecological zones, maybe, or or five different personalities. You got the, you know, the desert and you got the Sierras and you got Northern California. And then of course, you know, Oregon and Washington. Did you have a particular favorite piece of that trail?
2: Um, I really liked Washington. I thought it was very beautiful. I mean, the Sierras were really beautiful too. I got in them uh, at the end of May. Um, so I was a little bit on the early side too, um, not quite as early as, as uh, airborne, but uh, yeah, it it was, that was amazing for me. Just, every, you know, the men that you went over, I can't remember which pass, I mean, honestly going over Forrester pass and then just seeing the snow everywhere. And that was kind of like the, the represent, like the, just like, welcome to the Sierras, nothing but snow and just, um. It, it was an amazing time at that year, you know, it, it, kind of like talking about the boxing days where everyone's talking this big game, like, oh, I'm going to do this and that. Talking to northbound through hikers of the PCT, they were like, I'd ask them, are you going through the Sierras? I'm like, of course, I'm going through the Sierras. And they're all so confident and arrogant in it. And then it was kind of funny watching all of them or a lot of them skip it or get off trail or do things like that. And, and for good reason, you know, it's, it was, it was very dangerous, but um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to, to go through and try to puzzle solve and figure things out. And those river crossings were crazy, especially in Yosemite. Um, but it, it was definitely my kind of flavor of hiking.
1: Nice. Now, did you ever find yourself in a position where you thought to yourself, what am I doing out here? This was, this is, I've gotten myself into a predicament that I'm not sure I can get out of.
2: Um, hmm. I don't, I don't know if there was like a particular time where that happened. I, I certainly had like a lot of near deaths where like I fell off the side of mountains going down snow walls and towards like either big trees or rivers and thinking, Oh, this is it. Or, um, yeah, I remember like one of the, I think it was the second river crossing we had the first one was not too bad it was about waist deep and um you know you just took your time the second one though we couldn't pass it and so I was with this other guy Dasani and me and him walked way upstream to find a snow bridge um and threw our backpacks over ran and jumped over it and then looked back and realized that the snow bridge wasn't even connected it was pretty teetered out and so we would have like tried to utilize what we thought, you know, tried to just run across, we would have fallen in and died. Um, but that, that kind of stuff is, you know, for me, it, it's fun. Um, and there was, I guess there was one time I was really PO'd because he, we were going down uh, Kearsarge pass to get to the, the road. And I saw what looked like a trail on the left side. And he insisted because he saw some footprints to take the right side. And we argued this back and forth for a good while. And we end up, I'm like, fine, let's just take the right side. And so ends up being the snow wall where you're digging your fingers in the snow and kicking and and going across that way. And the snow wall decides to go out. And so down I go. And I didn't have an ice axe with me in the Sierras. I didn't have uh, crampons. I just had micro spikes and I had a broken trekking pole, half a trekking pole. And so I tried to lodge that trekking pole in to slow me down and self-arrest. It wasn't quite working. And got down to where there are some bushes and grabbed at the bushes and tore my hands up. And probably, I don't know, eight feet away from me, if I would have kept tumbling, is this huge drop off in a waterfall and I would have died there. And so I lost one of my micro spikes, I climbed back up and I'm just livid. I'm so angry at Dasani for deciding to go to the right side. I would not talk to him. We go back down to uh, uh, the road and we hitch into Bishop and we go to the McDonald's and I eat a burger and my hanger goes away. I'm instantly happy again. I'm seeing people around me crying and being all somber and, and me and him are like, I just get excited. I'm like, Oh, you know, we're going to go back in there and we're going to either hike or die. And we just kept like chanting, we're like hike or die, hike or die. And that kind of became like our, our motto. And we, it was just like, the switch that happened in the year is where I was like, all right, it's time to be crazy and reckless and wild. And, and I just got to be as free and reckless and wild and me versus nature on the edge of death all the time. And it was, it was just pure ecstasy for me. I was, I was having a lot of fun.
1: For some reason, McDonald's hamburgers don't, do don't have the same effect on me. You no, know, really? Yeah. Just going crazy.
2: <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Making crazy. Yeah. But making me happy. It, they flipped
1: a that, yeah. it flipped the switch. It flipped the switch for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was rationing at that point. So a lot of my anger, I think too, was just low calorie intake and fatigue. So.
1: Right. Now, what did you think of the CDT? Cause I, I know you said that, you know, PCT is your favorite, uh, AT, yeah, yeah. AT is kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the green tunnel it, it's yeah. it's close to a lot of populated areas. I mean, you're never that far away from civilization. Yeah. what did you think of the CDT?
2: CDT was awesome. Um, I was kind of disappointed because like the AT we had the um, Gatlinburg fires and so I went through those fires and and that was kind of exciting and, and so there was a lot of challenges on that trail. I had that stress fracture where I got my trail name and neurovirus and I went blind during that because I kept hiking and got probably not enough like electrolytes or sodium in me or something. Um, I got real sick but Yeah. And then the PCT, the year of firing ice, it was, and the the CDT was low snow years, a 10% snowpack in the San Juans. And, uh, there was really no sign of anything being dangerous. And that was like kind of a buzzkill for me because I was really hoping for this extreme dangerous, crazy thing. But, um, at first, like the CDT was just this cakewalk. We're doing 38 miles every day and just cruising along and, I'm just having Was this,
1: was this 2018? Yeah. Yeah. So you did, you did them in successive years, three years in a row. And did you do, I know you did the AT Southbound and the the PCT Northbound. Did you do the CDT Northbound as well?
2: I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. At that that point I was just chomping at the bit to go for the triple and everything. So um, yeah, I, I go out there and it was, you know, the San Juans were, i mean there was a lot of post holding but it wasn't dangerous it was kind of a cakewalk uh colorado was pretty easy it it was just like not challenging for me uh but then i got to yellowstone area and that's where things just took a big old twist for the worst and that's where i had like my big trail uh like my i don't know what you call the climax of my trail career as far as like stories and craziness happens that's Let me, put, let me
1: put my, let me put my seatbelt on. Let, let's hear this one.
2: Yeah, this is where I was attacked by a grizzly bear. Um, and that was, it was about seven miles South of Yellowstone. I was in the greater Yellowstone or area and I was hiking with this other guy, captain Kirk and uh, my headphones decided to quit working. So I told him hike on ahead. I'm going to fiddle with my headphones. At the time I didn't have bear spray. And as most hikers, I didn't have a gun or anything. Um, So he hikes on ahead. I get to the top of this plateau, um, probably, I don't know, a mile or half a mile behind him. And there's a grizzly bear right on the trail. And so I step off the trail, try to go around, pull up my camera, film it a little bit. Oh, look, a grizzly bear. Um, uh, And and you can see this on my Instagram channel, not the attack, but like right before the attack, I'm filming it. And there's like a part I'm like, oh, he's curiously coming my way, though, because he started... You know, I'd have his head down and kind of moving it from side to side. And he kind of looked my way and then just kind of start walking my way and then stop and then kind of shift around. And so I had this feeling like, oh, well, he notices me. So what's going to happen? I thought, you know, statistically, no hikers died from a grizzly bear attack. So how am I going to be the one? You know, I was like, yeah, as far as stats go, I should be a OK. And um, sure enough, he decides to charge me. And I was like, oh, so this is how I go. But, you know, me being the fighter type and everything, I, I always had this fantasy of dying fighting the warrior's death kind of thing. And so it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, now I'm getting what I wanted. I was kind of disappointed I wasn't going to be a triple crowner, but I was like, well, this is it. So um, so he charges at me and I grab my trekking pole and I lift it over my head and I yell real loud, hey, bear. And he stops about 10 feet from me and, you know, stomps his front paws and, Every time I look back to try to backwalk, um, he decides that he wants to charge me again. So I, I realized real quickly, because I, I know the general backcountry bear rules that you're not supposed to look him in the eyes because that's challenging them. And you're supposed to play docile and get on the ground in the fetal position. But I realized real quickly, I was like, oh shoot, this this young adult male grizzly, he um every time that I lock eyes with him and get aggressive back at him, he stops. But the minute that I look away, he charges, I, I realized real quick, Oh, this is a predator bear. He's, he's trying to see if he can get me. And um, so at that point it was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta, you know, go into my fight mode. And um, so, you know, he charged me maybe eight or nine times uh, cause you know, occasionally I'd stumble on something, look back to make sure I'm not going to trip. And then he would charge me again. I'd yell, he'd stop. Um, each time getting a little bit closer. Eventually he kind of just decides to get bored and he just starts, you know, eating the grass and walking around. So I start walking away. I get to this uh, snowy section and I slip on the snow and instantly he turns, gets real excited and charges at me. And I'm like, damn it. And so um, I, I thought, you know, this, e, e, this was the one where I felt pretty certain like, oh, this is the charge that's going to get me. So I found a, a stone near me. I lifted it over my head, screamed as loud as I could and was like, all right, I'm going to bash this bear in the head. I know it's not going to do anything, but you know, I, I got to die fighting. That's how I'm going to make it to Valhalla if I <laughs> if I want to go there. So I scream at him and, and charge at him. Um, and the minute that he sees that this, this crazy homo sapien is deciding that, oh, he's going to charge me, then he got scared, turned and tried to run. So now all of a sudden I'm chasing this grizzly bear trying to get him to go away. And then all of a sudden he realizes, oh, I'm, I'm the king of the woods here. Like you're you're just a, a hairless ape. And so he stops, gives me this angry side glare. I'm standing above him, feeling his hot breath on my legs. And I'm just like with this stone over my head, ready to bash it on his head. And that voice that I've had pop up in my head periodically that told me to run for my mission and everything. It was telling me, it was like, don't hit this bear in the head with a rock. You're going to die. If you do that. And I was like, well, I don't got much of a choice at this point. Do I like, uh, you know, he's, he's not going away. I have no choice, but to fight him. And it's like, you're not going to die. I was like, what do you mean? I'm not going to die. Like he's not getting away from me. And it's like, just don't do it. And so I was like, okay. So I, lower the 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 stone i start back walking he just stands there and at that point we're like all right we're cool so the grizzly bear is hanging out there i keep walking um i can't get to the trail because of where he's at so i jump off the side of a of a snow wall on the side of the mountain and slide down start walking my walking uh on kind of like you know a a wait a minutes go by 30 45 minutes and all of a sudden I hear behind me some crunchy noises and I look back and I'm kind of cliffed out at this point because I'm um I'm on this really uh rocky terrain and I look back and I realize oh shoot the grizzly bear has been stalking me and here he is again and so now I'm cliffed out I have nowhere to go and he's coming at me and so I'm trying to think of my options and I look down and the voice in my head it says you gotta jump and I'm looking down at down the cliffside I'm like if I jump it's probably not gonna kill me but it's going to break my legs and it's like you gotta jump because it's a good it's a slope but it's a good 50 foot uh jump or or so you know I can't quite tell you the exact measurements but it was a good whenever so I yeah he gets close I end up jumping um I tumbled two, three times before I hit the ground, tried to land each of my falls on my backpack. My hands got pretty bloody. My hip was pretty bloody. um, But overall, I was functional. So I made it down to the valley and looked up and the grizzly bear is looking down at me. And and he kind of looks around thinking, how can I get down and get him? And so now it's like, you know, now I got to be really clever because right next to me is some woods to the right. And behind me is a field. And I look at both and I realize. I can run in the field, but that bear can go 35 miles an hour. I can't run that fast. He's going to get me. But the woods are really compact. So there's my chance to get away. So I go into the woods, climb over sub, maneuver around and everything and end up scrambling back up the side of a mountain. I record this video thinking that I'm going to die. So I record a little video where I'm like whispering and like, hey, I'm, I'm in this area and, and a grizzly bear is stalking me just as like my last little so everyone knows whenever they find my body parts in a bear, what happened. Um, but that was it, you know, I, I got up and climbed up and and I got away from the grizzly bear. I ended up doing, I think it was like a 39 mile day. I was crying the whole day, just in a complete mess. Um, and I got to camp and captain Kirk was there and, and he's looking at me and And he's kind of like, where have you been? And I was like, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And and he looks at the blood and looks at me and he's like, you were attacked by a grizzly. And I, you know, just started sobbing and told him and it was, it was terrifying. But I can say to this day, I I survived a grizzly bear attack. So
1: Mega Man, that is a story of a lifetime right there. That is incredible. Um, I am struck by a couple of things. One is your thought, your initial thought that you were disappointed that uh, you wouldn't be a triple crowner. You know, of all the things to be disappointed about you know knowing you're going to meet your end here with a grizzly bear that that really speaks to kind of uh, your passion for hiking
2: yeah yeah uh, i <laughs> i love hiking i live for it and and that was you know i i've always wanted to make it my life and my career and it's it's been a difficult battle but i feel like i'm making these little steps you know being on this podcast and being on newspapers and stuff i'm slowly making it there and and I have this way of attracting these crazy stories. And and I want these crazy stories. I'll yeah. say this, I don't want to be attacked by a grizzly again. But if I was not attacked by a grizzly, I would say I want, I would have wanted to be attacked by a grizzly just to have that story. Like I, w- I want that experience. And, and it was mainly also to feel what it's like to be prey and to feel not on the top of the food chain. And that was a uh, very raw and uncomfortable feeling, but of such a real feeling. Like you like talk about living life and like actually feeling what life is. That situation just pulled that in together. It was extremely uncomfortable and and scary and anger was the main feeling going through me. But at the same mm-hmm. time I I came through it alive and and have this amazing story. And so I'm very grateful for the experience.
1: I have a, I have a bit of advice if you don't mind. Yeah, That is the next time you come face-to-face with that grizzly bear, you you slowly reach into your pack, you pull out the boxing gloves, and you say, hey, let's go over to the train tracks and settle this thing like men. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. I, I, I think I could get more punches in, but I think I couldn't hurt him. I think in the end of a boxing match, me versus a bear, if he was to play fair and jab at me, I think it would be a stalemate where I'm just worn out and I'm like, I can't hit you anymore. And, and he would be like, I don't know how to work these things. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> right. Maybe a broken nose or open up a cut above the eye. Maybe, maybe you have a shot, but uh, yeah. yeah. I, that, what a story that that's incredible. Yeah. And now I have to ask when you, when you got to uh, Florida, you just got off the trail for the, the Florida trail. Uh, any, any encounters with gators?
2: I mean, I, I saw gators, but no, I, I had a really tame hike on the Florida trail. It was, um, I, so I guess I had this shift in hiking whenever I started getting to a relationship. Well, it was getting to a relationship and also having a bunch of failures after the CDT because, you know, post-trail depression's a thing. And I crashed really hard after the triple crown. Cause that was my life goal and I just achieved it. And I was like, well, now what how can i do more dangerous and crazy adventures originally i was wanting to take a rowboat and row across the atlantic that like re uh do like a viking voyage start up in maybe like nova scotia go to greenland iceland then stop in norway but uh you know i started learning oh this stuff costs a lot of money and i'm still living in my parents basement doing dead end jobs like i i can't do this stuff i have the passion but i don't have the the means for it so um i crashed really really hard after that um and you know attempted the well first I tried to ditch society after my triple crown January 1st 2019 I said I said if I don't you know if I can't figure out what I'm gonna do in my life I'm just gonna get away from humanity and just live out in the woods and 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 just enjoy myself and I went down to the Mexican border at Big Bend National Park and while hanging out uh in some hot springs I had a rock that I actually pulled off of the hot springs go and hit my foot and it caused a gash which you know was pretty bad and, and sprayed and everything and so i couldn't walk with my foot and i was like well how can i ditch society if my foot's not working and so um i ended up at that point driving to my sister's house in florida and my foot at that point was swelled up really badly and um i ended up getting really sick after about a week everyone was telling me i need to go to the hospital I'm like i don't have any medical insurance i'm not going to ruin my future going to the hospital Um, and, uh, I woke up ready to vomit one night and I found this black thing in the gash and I pulled it and ended up being a little rock and pus and everything came out and about three more rocks came out and all of a sudden I could walk again. So that was like, oh, I can walk again. So that was like the start of 2019. And then I went to do the PNT and, um, I started on the ocean section, Olympic national park. And I was being arrogant as, uh, as I do, unfortunately. And this ranger was telling me you can't do 30 mile days in the ocean. And, and so I was just like, well bet. And so I did a 30 mile day. And then, then I was like, all right, I'm going to finish up the ocean section, but I wasn't paying at all attention to the tide charts and just thought like, uh, you know, I've, i survived a grizzly. I can do this. And, um, up in one of the parts where, um, maybe whenever the tide's low enough you can just walk around it but there's this hole that's in the wall I don't think it is hole in the wall per se because it's kind of a smaller hole but um it was filling up with water from the ocean and I tried to crawl through and I couldn't make it through and so like this ocean water is coming in and whacking me and pushing me against the wall and then I had to take my backpack off and push it through and by the time I made it through my phone was broke and uh so without navigation i couldn't do the pnt so i crashed and on top of that i was on a time crunch because i had a friend who had a wedding in rhode island by august so i was hoping to finish by then i was like well shoot this is too much pressure i'm going to get off this trail and instead try the arizona trail in the middle of june and so i go down to the arizona trail and hike about 200 miles of it get to flagstaff going southbound and and i'm just lost my passion i was so defeated from the pnt and from uh trying to ditch society and failing and everything that i was just like you know what maybe hiking's not for me anymore and i got on a greyhound and they lost all my gear and so i come back home without backpack or anything and you know calling them all the time like hey you know i'm pretty sure it's in this spot can you check and they never found it. And, uh, it was just like a really hard thing for me. So I was just, you know, very lost at that point. Um, but then I, I got a girlfriend and that kind of like set my mind towards that. And that really helped me at the time. And, um, I started focusing more on, um, the educational side of hiking specifically like physiography and geology and everything. And, um, I started really getting into just maps and in and, and general and maps without man-made border without man-made borders so without physical or human geography so not the state of Missouri it's you know in the south part is the interior highlands and then um, yeah kind of kind of like that and so I, I right. wanted to I wanted to hike every physiographical region in the United States on a long trail that was kind of my next goal and to make the other focus less about the physical danger and more about the educational side of me experiencing these landscapes and and learning about them beforehand. And so um, yeah I, I you know that was why I did the trails that I did was as a focus to do all eight major physiographical regions and the last one for me was, down in the Atlantic Plains, which is where the Florida trail is. And so I figured that would be the perfect trail. And on top of that, whenever I did that, that would grant me 10,000 miles of hiking. And that was a big goal for me. So I put all that together and went off and did the Florida trail and did it more as a, more as like an educational purpose for me, more to understand that area and find the beauty in it more than to experience danger and wrestle alligators. (laughs)
1: Now, having done all eight, you've completed all eight regions, right? Yeah, Florida was yeah. your last one, the, the 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 plains up there.
2: Yeah, the Atlantic plains, yeah. The
1: Atlantic Plains. And so what 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 is your impression have after having gone through all those regions? What, what have you learned?
2: The big thing that I've learned, um, this is kind of like a staple thing for me, is that everything that's wild is beautiful. Um, you know, you'll hear people talk about they're like, oh, but the mountains are the most beautiful, and this and that's the most beautiful. Anywhere that's a wilderness area that doesn't have a bunch of residential commercial areas where society is not at. it's beautiful it's equally beautiful i can't really at this point in my life say oh this one's more beautiful than the other it's just the more wild something is the more beautiful it is to me um the more you know just being surrounded by tons of life and it's that was the the big thing uh i remember um on the florida trail um for me like a lot of it too is tapping into what made because because humans for the longest period of time homo sapiens were hunter-gatherers and that's what probably made us happy was going out killing some food bringing it back cooking it great gave us fulfillment we're traveling around by foot and suddenly we don't have that anymore and for me a lot of it was to tap back into that that part of myself and to see if that can grant me some happiness and so another thing that i found on the florida trail uh, it was during a mushroom trip so i kind of felt this way anyway but i um i was just walking around seeing these gnarly trees and i was like oh you know what i'm going to climb these trees and then this revelation came to me about being a great ape you know that we're classified as great apes um and uh it was something that kind of like took it different because it has a different perspective than human whenever i hear human I feel like the word human separates itself from animal and that to me feels really wrong. I think that we are animals. We're just animals that have gotten really good at making tools and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, the idea like the word great ape or like just even calling it homo sapiens like that to me resonated so much more because it more felt what I was as opposed to the societal view of it. So, um, That was another, another big thing for me.
1: Nice. Now, Mega Man, I know you have a lot more stories. I can, I can tell, I can sense that there are a lot of stories in you and you've been a great guest. Um, We're running out of time. And so I would like to try and get a commitment from you to come back for a future episode of the John Freaky Mirror Pod and share some more stories with us.
2: Sure. I'd love to. Yeah.
1: Okay. Fantastic. Hey, you know where we are right now?
2: No. What? Like the picture behind you or the
1: pro tip insight of the week. Oh, we're at that time of the episode where I turn to you for some trail wisdom to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So what bit of advice do you have to share with our listeners?
2: All right. So the one that I thought about, and this goes back to the grizzly bear experience. Um, this one to me was very important because if I didn't go by this rule, I probably would have been dead. Um, the rule that I have is, learn your bear and it's not per se black bear does this a grizzly bear does that polar bear does this i don't agree with that i i really think just like humans bears have their own personalities every animal does anytime that you have an animal situation the first thing i think that's important is not to just go by oh this is the rules this is what i need to do the first thing you need to do is to analyze and say what's this animal's intentions what's it gonna what's it you know trying to accomplish here and then to work in accordance to that Um, with the grizzly bear um, it probably would have ended up really bad if I just laid in the fetal position and a lot of predatory grizzly bears you have to be more aggressive and loud at them and then sometimes with black bears you got to be more you know docile and retreating the other thing is you know the typical like um, getting the fetal position with grizzly bears that's going to more correlate to mother grizzlies and it makes sense because you're wanting to look as non-threatening as possible Um, but young adult male grizzly bears behave very differently so for all these hikers out here when you're out in the back country and everything and you run into an animal and if you do it enough you certainly will um you know learn observe it observe and try to figure out what its intentions are because that will help save your life a lot more than just following a checklist of what people say to do
1: i love it learn your bear Learn your bear, not just, not just the different types of species and how they typically act, but, but there are individuals within each species type and, and learn which one you're dealing with.
2: Definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Mega Man. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Mega Man, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures?
2: Yeah. So the best one probably is my Instagram, uh, vagrant underscore Viking 93. Um, the other one is my YouTube channel, which is also in a link on my Instagram. Uh, it's just, I don't have like a lot of hiking videos. It's mainly just like condensed hiking videos, like the Modahay trail in five minutes or the superior hiking trail in five minutes. So I just want it to be nature oriented and not me uh talking about myself and look at me kind of thing i want just to be like people want to go and hike these trails this is what the trails look like so my youtube channel is called wild west it's probably easier though to find if you're on my instagram channel which is vagrant underscore viking 93
1: okay remember to check out the pod on social media as well we're on facebook youtube instagram twitter and tiktok and if you have comments or clips you want to share you can send it to me at john at gmail at gmail.com the Adventure Media Recommendation. And before we wrap things up, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of uh, media that keeps our listeners connected to the outdoors. We're calling this our Adventure Media Recommendation. What do you have for us?
2: You know, I really like the documentary Paddle to Seattle. I don't know if anyone's recommended that one before. Um, I've watched on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's It's a documentary about two guys who have hiked the Appalachian Trail together and now they're uh, paddling um from alaska down to seattle uh in some oceanic rowboat uh or or uh, i think they're kayaks actually oceanic kayaks and and it's just a it captures that goofy hiker trash essence so well that so many documentaries get so serious and everything but this one's just it it captures what i love about being a hiker the silliness of it so um yeah paddle to seattle
1: Okay, very nice. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, we have one more segment for you called uh, what have we not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What would we? What, what can we fit into a, another brief little segment here?
2: Yeah, oh, I don't know. There's, there ain't much. I, I've been talking a good bit. I, I'd say we're, we're good here. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Okay. So that's a wrap from the John Freaky Mirror Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Mega Man?
2: Yeah, yeah, shout to A lot to, of siblings
1: uh, to go through. Don't forget anybody.
2: Oh, if you want me to do that, yeah. Troy, <laughs> Justin, Jacob, John, Tobias, Sabina, Rebecca. Um, I think I said Ben, if I didn't, Ben. Ashley and Hannah and I don't even want to try my nieces and nephews there's way too many of them shout out to some of my hiking friends top and double d and uh, bear magnet uh Captain Kirk uh, Dasani hell yeah Jesus um yeah yeah love you guys you're all awesome so
1: now how did you end up with Mega Man and not bear magnet if if you're the one that got attacked by the bear (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, mine came on the Appalachian Trail, so it was early on for me, but Bear Magnet, he saw, it was like, I can't remember the exact number, like 30 or 40 something bears on the Appalachian Trail and somewhere in like, I feel like it was like 10 to 20 black bears in the Shenandoahs alone. So that's where and how he got his trail name. <laughs>
1: does, he, does, he, does he slather himself with like bear pheromones or something?
2: You know, he, he has a certain smell to him. It, it might be the smell of bears like, but I don't know. I don't know why he gets so many bears his way. I was hoping for some bears on the Florida trail, but I did see one, but it was just his butt while I was running away in Osceola National Forest. But yeah.
1: Well, this has been a great episode. Really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've just logged 39 miles after a grizzly attack. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.